The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Hello. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome into this episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. It's great to have you here. I uh, I was kind of sitting down to record this just reflecting on how this this podcast when I sit down to record these with all of you it just kind of feels like home feels like a nice little soft landing um, it's such an honor to do this work um, I hope that that what we're putting out into the world is um, is helping you is serving you in some way and um, just so glad that you're here glad that you're here and, and as always I say it almost every episode just holding space for whatever you are maneuvering over there this week on this episode, um, really looking forward to, to sharing this conversation with all of you. Um, <clears throat> I am joined by Johnny Say. Johnny is a counselor and a compassion and mindfulness-based therapist who is based in the UK and um, have followed him for a long time. And this was the first time that I actually got to sit down and talk to him. And it was such a pleasure. Um Johnny in this episode shares his own mental health story um, with all of us, his experience of living with OCD, symptoms of, de- of uh, depersonalization and panic. Um, and then we get into to the work that he does and, and we dive into acceptance and commitment therapy a bit here in this, and in fact, quite a bit here in this episode, something that he works with really extensively with his clients. Um, and ACT, as it's known um, kind of for short, has been so transformative um, in my own life. I love it so much. It's very rooted in mindfulness. Um, And so we get into that a little bit, just kind of talk about what it is, how it's been helpful for him. Um, Excited to to kind of explore that with all of you. And then um, we wrap up the conversation by talking about how he really works on practicing self-compassion in the moment when things feel really intense. And there's some beautiful things in that that I hope help you moving forward. So with that, um, let's go ahead and, and begin this conversation. As always, my friends, take what serves you. Go ahead and leave the rest. And um, let's begin. Also, just want to let you know that there is some talk in this episode about suicidal ideation. So just want to let you know, be gentle with yourself around that, especially if you know if that's a really sensitive topic for you. Okay. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for for being here and, and taking some time to be on the podcast. It's great to have you. Great. Well, it's good to talk with you and, and nice to meet you. Yeah, I've um, I've listened to your work. I've followed your work for a long time now. Um, I found it really, really helpful for myself, and so um, excited to to be able to introduce you to to all of our listeners, and um, excited for the conversation for sure. Great, yeah, me yeah. too. Love talking about this stuff. So, um, I, I want to start a little bit. You know, we'll, we'll get into a lot of the work that you're doing and what you're finding helpful in, in your work with clients. Um, but I, I do want to go back to to kind of your own mental health story, as I know a lot of us who work in this field, um, there's kind of a reason yeah. that we got into it usually and yeah. kind of a deeper story there. Um, what are you comfortable kind of sharing with all of us just about your own kind of mental health journey? Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to talk about my story. I think um, 
you know, the type of therapy that I practice, acceptance and commitment therapy and compassion focused therapy really emphasizes being an honest, open, you know, authentic person and, and sharing, you know, our own life, our own history and what's been helpful, what we might still struggle with. Um, so, yeah, I'm very happy to talk about it. And I, I talk about it quite a lot with my clients because, you know, it can be helpful, right? If someone knows you're going through, they're going through what, what I've gone through, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's kind of helpful. So, yeah, very happy to talk about it. I mean, you know, aware of the time. So I'll, I'll try and, you know, summarize rather than giving you the whole biography. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, very happy. Cool. Yeah. And you're... um. I know this is like, it is really one of the, the hardest questions to answer. I know that kind of like, Hey, tell us about your mental health story, in, yeah, you know, yeah. 10 minutes, but OCD, as I understand it is something that you've maneuvered and, and continue to maneuver in your yeah, own life. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think part of therapy can be getting a co- coherent narrative of your history. You know, that can be one of the processes that, you know, is helpful. So I certainly have a bit of a, a timeline, I guess, um, it started as early as I remember, like very early memories of panic. And um, I had a lot of, basically I had panic attacks, depersonalization um, and OCD intrusive thoughts from a very young age. And I got diagnosed with epilepsy. They thought I had epilepsy. It was so kind of severe. So that would be, you know, typical panic attacks in, um, you know, often triggered in social situations, but equally just out of the blue and, you know, couldn't breathe, heart pounding, stomach in knots, dizzy, feeling like I was going to die. Or if I wasn't going to die, I was going to embarrass myself, you know, it'd be one of those where I was going to go mad, you know, I was going to lose my mind. Um, and then a lot of depersonalization, sort of transient depersonalization in the beginning, which is this sense of being unreal like your sense of self is is um detached and unreal you know you can't quite recognize yourself you don't feel connected you might feel out of your body lots of ways it shows up and it's kind of ineffable as well it's sort of quite hard to put into words and then derealization feeling like the external world was you know behind a screen or robotic or you know detached so i would have a lot of that and then OCD wise, I was I was getting intrusive thoughts. I was getting what you know would would be called in colloquial language sort of pure OCD. Um, you know, where it's more intrusive thoughts and, and mental compulsions. Um, I had little bits of physical compulsions as a kid, like having to do things perfectly. Otherwise, you know, someone's going to die or you know that kind yeah. of thing. But it was more in my head. You know, intrusive thoughts about kind of started with harm and, you know, fear of hurting people, fear of hurting myself. Um, then as I got older, it sort of went on to sexual themes. So sort of uh, questioning my own sexuality and, you know, sexual desire and sort of getting really caught up in all of that. Um, and then lots of, of sort of health anxiety and lots of actually existential anxiety, existential OCD from a young age. So I would have, um, lots of fear of death, fear of you know yeah. going to sleep, like just really troubled with that. So I was like a quite a shy little boy with a ton of social anxiety as well that was kind of going through all of this stuff in my head. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of, yeah, that was sort of junior school through to school. Um, and I try, I got some, like I kept a lot of it to myself. That was my sort of, uh, coping approach was sort of keeping it inside but you know my parents were, were tried to help where they could my mom had her own she'd had depersonalization and, and it was kind of in my family so she got a lot of that and they tried to, to sort of help but um and that that went down the epilepsy route and things like that but really eventually I just started to internalize it and you know it was just very in my head um ruminating analyzing you know my my compulsions were like I'd be self-reassuring myself. I'd be saying, you know, these are the opposite of what I want to do. These are you know, the worst thoughts. I'd be checking my reaction to them and the disgust. I'd be sort of ruminating, analyzing why am I getting them. I'd be trying to suppress them and distract and push them away. I'd think about my interests and kind of obsess about 
you know, things like snowboarding and things that, and skateboarding, things I was into that age. I just try and think, think, think about that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, from, from very young kid, I was really, you know, having daily panic attacks, like every day in assembly, I'd be gripping the chair or the floor and just like really ups, you know, really depersonalized or panicking. Um, and yeah, that it was intense. It was very intense. Um, and it would sort of jump around. It would it would sort of switch themes. So that was kind of school. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it danced around every sort of topic you can imagine. And, you know, went back back and forth between panic and depersonalization and OCD and, um, you know, around those things. Um, yeah, I could, you know, that's the kind of first phase. I can yep. t- tell you the next phases, but, yeah, I don't know if, if you want well, to ask anything about that. Well, I'm the one thing that's really sticking out to me is um the the talk about depersonalization i um so that was a huge thing for me and continues to be actually a yeah a a pretty big thing for me um in in my own life i've just gotten a lot better at maneuvering it today but um yeah that was one of my first at uh i've talked about it on the podcast i was sitting in in the lunchroom in middle school and i got a huge wave of depersonalization that just shook yeah. me to my core and I had yeah. no idea what I was experiencing. Yeah. You know, I thought yeah. I kind of triggered a, a whole string of, do I have a brain tumor? Am I losing my yeah. mind? Like there must yeah. be something wrong with me and just that. And I resonate a lot too with what you're saying about just kind of internalizing it and yeah. how, how yeah. I, I think back to that younger version of myself a lot like that and the younger version yeah. of you, right? Like having to yeah. remember all those things alone. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and you know the the judgment and the kind of judging myself for being kind of anxious and vulnerable and being very hard on myself at that time, um, yeah. and just desperately not wanting to be like that and wanting to you know be happy go lucky like some of my friends who seem to or people around me who seem to just not have any of that, um, yeah. and I had you know tons of embodied anxiety. That was the other thing, like my mind wasn't always worrying, but I'd always you know stomach in knots, tight chest you know, feeling, feeling these different things, uh, heart pounding, um, and lots of social anxiety, to be honest, I was very quiet, very, you know, I'd avoid everything and, and sort of, you know, try and, uh, uh, you know, just protect and guard myself really. Um, and, yeah. and that was the kind of the, 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 the school day. So it does have very similar, it sounds like we've had, yeah. had a very similar experience there. And I think it's common. I mean, you're working with, with people and you'll be, you know, so often you hear this, especially with existential OCD, there's often a link to depersonalization and, and yeah. panic and they're often yeah. there together. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of then went to university. I'd had a little bit of treatment from a, a, a GP family friend who was great at hypnotherapy, but it was, you know, it was early days. It's before CBT was so well known and um, Internet wasn't there, you know, at that mm-hmm. time. So he, he'd tried to help me the best he could and there was some useful stuff there for sure but a lot of it I changed into compulsions like trying to breathe away you know the experience mm-hmm. that was a hypnosis thing so I'd be trying to breathe it away all the time or you know things relax it away or stuff like that um but then I I yeah I I kind of I went to uni um it got it sort of shifted around at times it was a little bit easier with the freedom that I was having and you know the fun you have at those times. I mean, it was always there, but it, I, I had a little bit of easing at times then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was never gone, but it, it was just not the daily grind always at that point. And then, and then it would come back, and there would be really difficult times. I had relationship OCD at that time, and was yeah. ruminating and analysing about, you know, is it the right relationship? relationship? What about this? What about that? All of that kind of yeah. stuff, and a lot of yeah. health anxiety. Um, yeah. But in, par- in parallel to that, I, I gravitated towards um, kind of martial arts and meditation through that as a as a kind of, I, was, I mean, really, it's quite compulsive, really, as a way to try and solve you know, everything I was going through. I, I actually remember reading a book and it said it had this line in it where it said, um, and one of the outcomes of, of kind of Shaolin Zen meditation is you can lose your fear of death. And to me, that was like, boom, you know, there's the solution, right? Okay, let's go for that. And that kind of sparked a a long journey with 
um, traditional martial arts, Shaolin, Qigong, meditation, Chan or Zen meditation, and then into the Buddhist meditation and just, a, a you know, 15, 20 years of sort of really going at that, that, that sort of stuff, trying mm. to, I mean, it, it wasn't just for OCD. I also enjoyed the connection and, and, you know, developing a skill yep. and, you know, the fun of, of martial arts, but um, there was a lot of OCD in that and it triggered tons of existential OCD, yeah. just ruminating about, you know, life, life after death or not, yeah. or, or non life after death, um, yeah. uh, consciousness and happiness, a lot about happiness. I was going, you know, yeah. and my teach, teacher used to say, just enjoy the practice. And my mind would go, what enjoy how do you enjoy it what do you enjoy it? How, is it like this is it like that where's joy yeah. what's it like am i doing it right you know am i feeling it? am i not and lots of existential ocd yeah. around that um so that was like you know that was a, a journey and my mental health was getting what w- got worse and worse through that to be honest mm. so you know a lot of a lot of the um ideas in those sort of eastern medicine philosophies is that things like ocd and anxiety are energy blockages yeah and, and you can heal them so yes. that was like magic to my you know mind and but it became just a whole load of compulsions to to try to heal anxiety and ocd and panic and, and yeah. things um, and can be and can be so um it, you know, it's interesting again resonate i in my own way resonate with that kind of chapter of your life too i've been really involved in yoga meditation yeah. myself yeah. And, and really yeah. dove into yoga really really deep um extremely helpful in many ways and also yeah. recognizing how much it, it, it's it wasn't solving ocd yes. right yes and, and yeah. i think that's like something that isn't talked about a lot is how yeah. to take the really, really beautiful things that people get from a lot of these Eastern holistic, you know, spiritual practices, but also be able to infuse tools that help people who are, who are struggling with something more like a diagnosable mental health condition. And and I think the, the invalidation of that sometimes can really cause a lot of shame for people because it's like, yeah, yeah, I I shouldn't be struggling with this. Yeah. I should just be meditating wrong or just, you should be able to sit through it. Or I felt anxious while meditating. You must be having the same thing. So just double down and go for it. Yeah. Um, Whereas actually for some people you don't need to, to, um uh to to sort of deconstruct the sense of self anymore you want to reconstruct it you need a stronger sense of self not a a weaker sense of self um so yeah Yeah. that that took me down that path and you're right there were it was paradoxical because there were was really useful stuff within it and like Mm -hmm. i developed stuff that i use to this day like i practiced so intensely that i went from being a very distracted little kid who was either in OCD or as in my obsessive interests. And I was one or the other, and I couldn't listen to you for 10 seconds without going off into one of those to someone that could focus and engage and listen. And I use that to this day. You know, that's what helps me as a therapist. So, you know, it really helped with a lot of stuff and it helped with depersonalization a lot to begin with and, and building up, um, you know, lots of things, you know it was mixed like some of it but generally there was a trend of of getting worse and worse and about that time i sort of um the internet was becoming more you know an everyday thing that you you use so i was starting to research on that which became quite compulsive Mm -hmm. lots of journaling and studying and analyzing buying i mean i can't tell you how many books i've bought um and and this is going to be the book that solves it all exactly exactly so just tons of that and studying and and that kind of went from those eastern philosophies more towards psychology over time and um yeah so so i i on the internet started to discover about pure ocd and a lot of what i was going through and actually i i found out that a lot of what i'd experienced in had been diagnosed with epilepsy was actually all symptoms of panic and depersonalization, mm. all things that I had later, even after yeah. I've had epilepsy treatment, it hadn't got rid of any of that stuff. Um, mm. So, you know, I kind of 
in some ways, I'm a little bit skeptical about that diagnosis, really, because none of, you know, I still had all the same symptoms of like my head feeling like it's going to be crushed or the depersonalization or, um, you know, feeling just huge levels of anxiety out of the blue and panic and terror. All these things that they said, well, that's probably epilepsy. Actually, you know, it, it was more, it was more, to me, it fits more within panic and depersonalization. So mm-hmm. I was studying, learning about this and, and, starting to engage in therapy and I had, I had trauma therapy and EMDR was one of the first things I I did and and didn't find that personally particularly helpful but I was gravitating towards understanding OCD and I discovered our mutual friend Stu's podcast the OCD stories and you know that became a real resource to sort of learn and and, and study um, well that might have been a bit later I discovered that I think actually I was just Googling and finding, you know, books like um, John Hirschfield's brilliant oh. book on, on mindfulness workbook for OCD. And um, and then then I, I started to do CBT. So I had um, three different rounds of CBT with ERP. Um, at that point, I was dealing a lot with the health anxiety and the um, and, and somatosensory OCD. So I was locked on certain physical symptoms. Um, lot on the breathing so my mind would be like on the breathing and i'd be monitoring and analyzing ruminating and hating and trying to push away and trying to get off the breathing or more more than that was actually feelings in the bladder that was the strongest one i had mm-hmm. and it became mm-hmm. so bad i was starting to feel suicidal i was starting to think how am i going to you know ever leave the house with this feeling like this all the time it was like all day long i would just have the feeling of needed the toilet um which i laugh about now because you know probably it's a bit of an embarrassing symptom but it was so intense at the time it was was awful so i got some cbt and erp for for that um and got an ocd diagnosis and 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 saw first of all nhs and then i i went to a um a really well-known cbt therapist had written books and and he integrated a lot of mindfulness and that was somewhat pretty helpful and started the path but then things jumped around and and the existential stuff and the health got really bad and i'd gone on antidepressants as well at this point um or earlier and i had a really hard time going on to those and then i'd been on them and they'd been somewhat helpful but then started to get a lot of you know uh, unwanted side effects and difficult physiological symptoms really and and sort of like my anxiety just shifted around it it went from being like in my chest and my stomach to being in my head is how i describe it it's like mm. the medication yeah. stopped the the, the the serotonin gut stuff yeah. maybe and then it was all in my head so it's just feeling really dread and disorientation and depersonalization so it got really bad and i tried yeah. to come off it and then that got worse and then i had to Ugh. go back on and off and on and off a couple of times um, and then, you know, I was really at a crisis with health anxiety. I, you know, I was at a point where you just really believe you've got the brain tumor or cancer. Um, you're not believing, you know, medical professionals or people telling you it's not or scans. And, and then it was just cycling between existential OCD on, on different themes and, and that and, and other themes were blending in. I mean, it was all a, a mess and I would just wake up with either panic symptoms that would stay all day long or depersonalization and it would just go back and forth and then depression depression started showing up and it would cycle between those and like i always laughed when you know all the cbt textbooks talk about these lovely 20 minute arcs of panic attacks and i was like my panic attacks don't do that they go up and they don't come down you know they they might fluctuate a little bit and i guess people would say it's because you're doing safety behaviors or rumination or, or, or monitoring or other things that are re-triggering it but it would mm. just stay like that all day long um, yeah. and so that was the most intense phase of my life and, and very very difficult and very very painful and yeah. yeah depression kicked in and I started I had suicidal OCD at first where I was kind of frightened of that those thoughts yeah. but then it flipped to actually starting to feel yeah I'm not going to get better how can I live like this? How long can I go on for, you know, that kind of stuff and feeling like a more of a, like the only 
sort of solution really at that point like our mind does right it tries to problem solve the pain and it goes yeah. right that's going to be the solution uh, yeah. but i kind of at the same time I, I knew it was depression so there was i kept going you know i i didn't yeah. you know i didn't surrender to what it was telling me to do just because i was kind of on onto it somewhat yeah. um you know and, and and then i had another round of of erp just three sessions with a, a you know with rob wilson who's a a british um uh cbt clinical psychologist very well known and written books and um uh had he really got me inspired on erp and kind of going towards that and um got me just doing that practice and that what i what what i would say i did was at that point i was going back to act as well i'd read about act many years earlier and CFT, compassion focused therapy, and acceptance and commitment therapy earlier. And I kind of came back to them all at the same time. It all, all sort of went in there. And Rob was very into ACT and CFT and, and also metacognitive therapy um, and other, you know, third wave CBT. So he was quite positive about all of that and really encouraged me to, to, to dive into that. And I was doing exposure work on health anxiety and existential anxiety. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to habituate to this or inhibitory learn my way out of this anxiety. Like this is, if I get a cancer diagnosis tomorrow, I'm going to be terrified. So I was like, yeah. let's change the focus here and let's mm -hmm. get good at sitting with this terror and this depersonalization and, and this depression because my existential would flip to the depression. Let's get really good at being with that and yeah. see if I can, you know, engage in life, accept those thoughts and feelings, allow them to be there and really live my life and get better at that. Cause that's something I can achieve. I can't, you know, I don't want to delude yeah. myself anymore that that, you know, like back to this, the book I read on Kung Fu, I'm going to work out some magical way to get over my existential anxiety. No, like let's yeah. change the focus. Let's get really good at being with it and make that the goal. And then that changed it all. And then, you know, paradoxically, all the intense symptoms did drop down at that point and came right down. All the intrusive thoughts, all the um, embodied mm. stuff, the depersonalization, all got a lot easier. But it was just because I genuinely was happy to be in that. I got to the point where it's like, okay, yeah. you know, the way I describe it, there's like two modes of mind. There's one mode of mind when your brain's not doing any of this difficult stuff, your body's not doing any of this difficult stuff, and you can just engage and enjoy and connect and, and live uh, you, you know your life and that's great but you also want to be able to have a load of difficult stuff there and still be able to do that still engage yeah. in life and then that's two modes of mind and then if you're happy with either of those modes of mind then you're away so that was mm. kind of the stuff i was sort of connecting with and i, I to be honest i think you you'll probably know mark freeman's work um he was very inspiring as well and i had some back and forth with him and he'd obviously you know had integrated act and in, into his you know mental health journey so i have to say that he was very inspiring as well at that point and yeah and then i just went for it and i was studying you know i, I guess you, you asked at the beginning what led you to to kind of you know on this journey as well i i started being you know i'd first been a kung fu and qigong teacher and felt really difficult in that role because I was freaking out every time I went to teach. And then I was telling people you can overcome anxiety. And I was like, this feels awful. So then I moved into mindfulness and that felt more authentic because I didn't need to be this perfect person. I could be helping people Beautiful. with skills and, and, and working with my own difficulty. And I was discovering that to that point. Um, and then that led me into I started to think you know, about training as a therapist because I was enjoying helping people. And like Marsha Linehan says, you know, if you've been down to hell, you want to go down there and help get people out. And totally. it, it, kind, it kind of felt like very much like that. Um, and uh, I was working in, in work that I, I'd really let my anxiety lead my career. I, I'd avoided anything difficult and, you know, really tried to avoid the anxiety and went the path of easiest um, of non-resistance, which had been so terrible for my mental health, because obviously I was disconnected from anything meaningful. So I was at that part. Well, not not that that work wasn't meaningful, but for me, for me, it wasn't what I wanted to yeah. do. It was meaningful yeah. work, but it, it wasn't for me. You know what yeah. what 
was my calling. I'd avoided, you know, that because of anxiety. So at that point, I started going, right, I'm going to go towards this. I'm going to train. I'm going to, you know, start teaching mindfulness for groups and face my public speaking anxiety. And, you know, I'd mm -hmm. been all the way through school and university just terrified of that being sort of shaking in lectures and going red in the face and panic attacks as i tried to public speak so i went right you know start to face all of that and start yeah. to run kind of corporate mindfulness and things alongside that and then i was training and, and then that's that's me into that kind of phase that um mm -hmm. and really trying to use act as i went through that and compassion focus therapy as i went through that yeah. well thank you for just being willing to let us in on that as, as you're, as you're talking through it. And I hear this a lot from a lot of people who struggle with OCD and just all the different ways that it's kind of manifested and shape shifted over the years and taken on different forms. Um, I just kind of had the question that come like coming up internally, like, do you ever just take a moment to like honor what it took to get to this moment for you? I do you know. a lot. I mean, in in both compassion focused therapy and ACT, there's a lot of compassion to our younger self. So you yeah. you do a lot of going back to the memories and the difficult times and you sort of imagine your wiser, more compassionate self alongside that younger self and offer them kind words, supportive actions, and then often just a hug. And, you know, yeah. I do that all the time i mean i that was very important practice in my own you know recovery work um and and then i i use it in therapy all the time and i, I practice it with my clients as i'm doing it and and that's a very much a cft practice but also act my supervisor for act john forsyth you know he him and 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 his co-author gerhard were putting those sort of practices into the early art books and you know so very inspired by that stuff so yeah i i do that and i think it's essential and i think that's what changes your relationship with your pain and you know that's what what for me stopped me being this person that was judging myself as being this sort of weak and and frightened and vulnerable person to like that was yeah. a strong person who got through hell of a journey and just kept going, you know, even yeah. when the mind was doing the worst and saying, don't keep, you know, kill yourself, like kept going. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I always, always extend compassion to that younger self. Yeah. And I know a lot of people listening to this um, have maybe heard of ACT, maybe haven't heard of ACT. I just want to name, you know, for anybody that this is kind of new, new terminology that they're hearing, um, talking about uh, a form of, of treatment, mental health treatment, um, yeah. kind of a, a lens called acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah. Um, I've found it really, really deep, deeply helpful, deeply helpful yeah. myself. Um, I resonate so much with it. And I know you've kind of touched on it here already, you know, talking about how the shift really, when you started working with it was, how do I cre almost like create space for these things that I'm experiencing, not fight them, not really try to get them to go away. Yeah. Um, but how, for somebody listening right now, who's never really heard of it, is there a way that you would describe that to somebody kind of right out of yeah. the game, like what act is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's different ways. I would definitely point people at, um, Stephen C. Hayes's work developing it and, and Russ Harris. I'm a huge Russ Harris yep. fan and he really influenced me massively the whole way through my mental health journey. So, um, you know, their writings, um, you know, get out of your mind and into your life and then the happiness mm. trap um, with Russ Harris. You know, if you want to deep dive on ACT, that's where I would go. go. I mean, it's interesting because Steve developed ACT out of his own panic disorder and in some ways, it's not a similar, not a dissimilar sort of tale to, you know, what you and I have connected with today, um, you know, and he was, he was slightly more on the academic and, and behavioral research path and, and trying a lot of the early CBT work with either progressive relaxation or cognitive reappraisal. And I think he found that actually none of that was helpful. It all became part of the struggle with, with panic that made it worse. And then he had a kind of crisis moment, which I certainly relate to where it was suddenly like, I can't, you know, fix this with my thinking or, you know, with some clever technique. And then it made him do this sort of 360 degree to 
to acceptance to move into can I accept this feeling and that sort of set him off on this journey he was also influenced by early early CBT ideas around um, comprehensive distancing I think it's called this sort of other part of CBT of watching thoughts rather than debating them Um, and then you know he he went off and really act I mean I won't give you too much information because I would you know grab a textbook but it's probably more in more useful like how I used it how I think about it with clients, things like that. So, you know, I guess really, you know, ACT is about um, uh, this idea of psychological flexibility. So if I think about my own story, everything up until the point of, of, of sort of flipping how I was doing exposure work had been about what I calls experiential avoidance or trying to control emotions, trying to push them away, reduce them, control their, their intensity or following them and doing what they tell us to try and make you know life easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything I've been doing, I've been trying to control my anxiety, OCD and everything else that I've, I've mentioned. And so ex- psychological flexibility is flipping that round and going, actually, no, that's not working for me. All those strategies I was trying actually dug the hole deeper, which I personally feel is so true in my life. So I'm going to flip it around and I'm going to learn skills to actually get a little bit of distance from my thoughts, not believe them, be able to observe my mind and, and not, or I shouldn't say believe them, but not instantly follow them and react and, and actually to be able to watch our mind and choose how we respond to be able to do the same with feelings to make space and room for anxiety so we drop the struggle and all the extra things we add in that actually intensify feelings like judgment and worry about the feeling and tracking and monitoring it and trying to push it away and all that stuff that amplifies the feeling trying to let go of that and just accept and make room for the feeling at the primary level, the kind of the, the you know, what would be called the pain rather than the suffering, you know, the pain, the, 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 the emotional, the, the kind of base level of the emotion, the suffering being all the stuff we add on top. So doing, you know, building that relationship with our thoughts and feelings in the service of identifying our values and meaningful goals and the direction we want to go in our life and, yeah. um, you know, really making recovery about that rather than controlling those symptoms more about where do I want to go in my life and actually the brilliant thing is the side effect is it does reduce in intensity or it makes the symptoms more manageable or it makes them rise and pass you know more easily or we get to the point they just don't bother us um you know so what we're kind of looking for you get as the paradox of that yeah and it's and it's kind of obvious you know if you think about common examples of this you know the more i try and get the annoying song out of my head the louder it gets the more i accept it the more likely it is to either go into the background or or drop away completely um Mm -hmm. you know the same with pain the same with you know a headache with anything you know really the more we struggle with things the more it takes over our life. Um, so then ACT has quite a lot of options and ways to cultivate these processes. Um, and there are, um, you know, there's a lot more detail to the processes, but I don't think it's so useful to go into all of that here. You know, anyone can read about that if they want to, to dive deeper. Um, and Steve Hayes has done a lot of podcasts now, so you can find him pretty easily as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that, that for me was what I was doing in that exposure work. And then, that really influenced me moving into being a therapist and, and working with people and seeing how useful that is. It's hard because everything in us wants to get rid of the problems and goes to therapy for that. But, you know, I, I think this paradoxical flip is, is, is the thing that I think works, you know, that I'm passionate about. And I think too, my weaving in some of that compassion, right. That you talk yes. about too, into yes. that process is, yeah a really, really beautiful thing that I don't know gets talked about enough in OCD yeah. treatment. Yes. Yeah. 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 Completely. It, it, you know, I, I would say if you're self-compassionate, it's easier to get that distance from your mind, you know, and not take your thoughts so personally. And like, there's something that defines me or something that I have to worry about and give attention to. It's something that makes feelings easier to be with. There's like more space and more um, um, kind of strength to be with difficult feelings with compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's just it's like a kind supportive coach in our head keeping us going keeping us you know on the track of uh, the path of recovery um so helpful yeah and i think too the the beauty of that approach too is that um with act it i think i i know for me i've in my life kind of fallen into some of those patterns and still obviously to this day i experience it but where, where you're like you're so not wanting to experience the emotion that you're fixated on or yeah. have the thoughts the intrusive thought or, or like you know bodily sensation whatever that might be yeah. and i think when we're too fixed when we get really fixated on like i need to take it away or get it to stop yeah. the second that we step out into the world and we experience that thing it's kind of like oh gosh what have i done wrong yeah yeah i've done something yeah. wrong this isn't working and then it kind of you know it can really really kind of tailspin yeah. from there whereas yeah. with act what a beautiful to approach to kind of expect that those things are going to arise like kind yeah. of the uh, uh, hey i'm gonna i'm going to probably experience those things today yeah. and yet here's some tools of how to create a little bit of space for it and still show yes. up for my life yes exactly exactly that, that reframe yeah. i think it's really helpful yeah yeah exactly and and you know it's something we we can work on a practice it's skills based it's in the service of you know the the life we want to build it's moving towards that meaningful life direction and, and making choices so it, it, it's so supportive and i mean i think if you look around and you hear people talking about you know their mental health recovery I would say you can find you more often than not, you can find act and compassion processes in those stories. Like I, I work with OCD, but I also work with like a lot of, you know, other challenges um, and, you know, spending time with all kinds of different disorders, you know, everything from anxiety, depression, psychosis, schizophrenia, you know, personality disorders, you know, relationship challenges, addictions, you name it. Like the people who recover, they build this ability to accept the distress and surf the urges of what, you know, their mind and body is telling them to do. They get in touch with a motivation source with something that's really powerful for them, you know, values and goals and meaning and, you know, basically what matters and who matters. And then they engage deeply and work hard at that and, and keep recommitting and refocusing on that over and over again in that alternative behavior. And I think you, that's what you, that's what I hear in people's recovery stories. Like I don't often hear someone who did a specific therapy and it really had this just predictable, magical result. You hear like people who are selling approaches saying that, you know, and, and, yeah. and sort of slightly grandiose, narcissistic heads of certain organizations and things talking about that. But actually people on the ground, you know, recovering from mental illness, um, I would say you, you always see these kind of processes within it. You know, kind of arriving here present day, um, what what helps you? You know, obviously, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about with ACT and these tools, I'm sure a part of the toolkit for you is still. And yeah. yet, um, what else kind of supports you? day in and yeah. day out just to, to maneuver the mind and this human experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I am really orientated to act and, and compassion approaches. So they are the biggest resource for me. And I think the beauty of being a therapist is when you're working with other people, you have to constantly ask yourself, am I doing this myself? You know, am I practicing these skills myself? Am I pushing into difficulty and anxiety and, you know, getting out of my comfort zone? Am I, you know, balancing my lifestyle, looking at my well-being supports? Am I tapping into values and meaning on a daily basis? Am I being self-compassionate? So that really helps me, actually. And it's one of the, the, the really beautiful things of being a therapist is that you're with someone. And it's really like us here together working on our, our mental health. And we may have the, the focus on the client, but it's it's like we're doing it together, really, because I'm practicing with them. I'm doing exposure with them. All the thoughts I was terrified of growing up, I'm facing every day and go, you know, going into that stuff and working my skills with it. And I guess the way I approach exposure therapy is really is skills practice and in service of values. So I'm doing that stuff every day. That really helps. 
Um, social connection, obviously massive. I'm someone who has quite an avoidant attachment style, as you can tell from my history of not really talking. I mean, I did talk to people at times and I don't want to say people didn't help me and people definitely tried to help me, but a lot of the time I, I kept it inside and, you know, I, I really didn't tell anyone a lot of the, the, the depths of the pain and things. And that's, classic of someone who's avoidant and has to be self-sufficient okay. so i i really you know social connection is something you know i continue to explore and work on um i really like fat functional analytic psychotherapy so that's a really nice frame for looking at our, our behavior with other people and you know what's working and what isn't um and 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 you know act and cft also look at that so yeah. Yeah, there were times on my mental health journey, though, where social connection wasn't supportive at all. I would be with people and I'd be like, this is supposed to be helping me. Why? Why am I feeling worse here? You know, I'm feeling more disconnected or more self-loathing or more you know, intense anxiety. So, you know, learning how to flip that around and use all the act skills in connection, in relationship has been, you know, for me, a huge one. Um, like many people in the act world, I, I like the positive psychology ideas of things like savoring and gratitude and flow and sort of cultivating those ideas. Um, a lot of people have been integrating those into ACT, people like Kirk Strozal and, and um, John Forsyth, the people I talked about earlier, um, uh, you know, so really bringing those ideas in. I benefit because of my difficulties with happiness, with existential OCD, that's been so helpful to sort of work that. Um, so that side of things, you know, I love nature. I love, you know, getting out and connecting and, and exercise and all the classic things that are good for your mental health. But really, all of those can fail if you're in your mind ruminating and, you know, either doing OCD or, you know, negative rumination in depression or, you know, you name it. If, if there's some process like that going, you can get all the supports in place and you'll be miserable. So for me, yeah. the, the foundation is skills. And then, you know, and actually not using those things to try and manage my mental health, but doing those things more because I enjoy them and they make me feel happy and well and more for my physical health. And then, you know, the side effect is that they're obviously, obviously supportive. And I think yeah. as a therapist, you have to do that kind of stuff because you're you know, you're talking to many, many people in a day about, you know, very painful stuff. Yeah. Uh, so good self-care. So as we kind of wrap up here, um, I, I love the talk about self-compassion. And so in a, in a moment, in a given moment, when something arises within you that's uncomfortable or scary or intense, um, how, how are you being compassionate to yourself? What, what are you saying yeah. to yourself? What, what are you doing in that? Yeah, in that moment yeah. to try to to try to cultivate that so a lot of what i do with my skills is i i do the the act skills of acknowledging and refocusing or allowing things to be there and refocusing and not doing you know letting go of the mental compulsions all of that so the the yeah. pro, a lot of my practice is that but then i integrate compassion in and values and other things in at times um so compassion you know i i will Self-taught wise, you know, I like the simple formula of acknowledge the pain, respond with kindness. And um, that's a Russ Harris sort of simplification. So, you know, I'll, I'll talk to myself in the third person and say, Johnny, this is really tough right now. You know, you're going through a lot. Go easy on yourself. You know, I might go for common humanity and you're not alone with this. You know, other people are, are going through this. And then more encouragement, motivation and guiding myself onto skills. So I'll, I'll say, you know, remember to use your skills here, focus, engage, you know, accept these feelings, be present with this person, whatever it might be. Um, but a lot of the time, you know, this stuff's happening so fast in the flow of life when you're talking to people, doing tasks, doing stuff that the a lot of the foundation is that ability to observe and, and refocus, the ability to, you know, have some diffusion, have some acceptance and have some engagement and then self-compassion I'll roll in. But, you know, before a podcast like this, I'll, I'll say to myself, 
remember why you're doing it, Johnny. Remember you're trying to help people. You're trying to um, you know, connect with people. Um, doesn't matter how you do, you know, it doesn't matter how you seem, you know, you're good enough. And like, I'll, I'll use it before I do something, I'll use it during. And then I like bringing self-compassion back to behavioral level at the end as well. So what are the actions of self-compassion? What do I, I need right now? So do I need to get outside and go for a walk? Do I need to do something physical? Do I need to connect with someone? You know, do I just need to practice my skills and keep going? Do I need to urge to, my urge to procrastinate and do the different hmm. thing? You know, so that kind of tying it back to behavior. So that diffusion, like getting some distance from our thoughts, letting go of any compulsions or rumination, accepting feelings, doing that kind of stepping back step and then compassionate self-talk and compassionate action and doing it relentlessly. And that's the biggest thing for me in my journey was on the bad days, relentlessly, gently, mm. relent, gentle, relentlessness over and over. Um, Reed Wilson has this idea that you're sort of scoring points every time you do, do the sort of technique. And I think it really is like that. It's just every time you're caught up in it again, step back. Yeah refocus and you know over and over that was the biggest thing for me was on the bad days yeah. just being relentless um so Beautiful. with compassion just being relentless because yeah. your mind will resist it your mind will go for a lot of people that say no you don't deserve it or other people it, it doesn't work or you don't really believe it or you just get confused can't think of it so you got to work with that re resistance recycle that resistance step back and then just engage compassion again over and over until it becomes natural because that's what ocd and anxiety and other difficulties are doing they're going over and over sending you these thoughts and feelings so we've got to you know do the same gently gently gentle resilience is that how gentle relentlessness gentle relentlessness yeah it's a beautiful um it's a beautiful place to to wrap up and um i just want to thank you so much thanks for for all you're doing. Um, like I said, it's been really, really helpful for me in my own path. Um, and it's, it's, uh, wonderful to be able to connect and just thank for, thanks for the impact that you're, that you're making out there. Well, I appreciate your words and it's really good to, to meet and connect with you. And I think so much similar, you know, in our history. So it's, it's always nice to connect with someone about that. I want to once again just give a big thank you to, to Johnny for joining me here on this podcast. Just so enjoyed connecting and um, hope that all of you took something away from that conversation as well. I'm going to put a link here in the show notes of ways that you can interact with him and find him online. Um, he has really, really beautiful content on YouTube, some great videos on there that you can go um, learn more about these things like mindfulness-based therapy and compassion and, and all the things that we talked about here today. So um, be sure to check that out if this is of interest to you. And uh, yeah, my friends, be really, really gentle with you over there. We keep taking this thing one moment at a time, one moment at a time. Um, be really, really gentle with you and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Also, just a reminder that this podcast is not meant to replace work with a therapist. And so if you feel you need it, I encourage you to reach out to a trained mental health professional. All right, we'll talk soon.